I was uh, helping volunteer at a race a couple months ago, and there was no recycling for all these plastic and aluminum cans. And so I held up a bag and had every runner drop their their item into my bag and then took it home and recycled. That's the sort of sustainability nerd level I'm at. I think that's like a level four out of five, maybe. (laughs) There's more I could do. (laughs) Welcome to The Future Of, a podcast by Fresh Consulting, where we discuss and learn about the future of different industries, markets, and technology verticals. Together, we'll chat with leaders and experts in the field and discuss how we can shape the future human experience. I'm your host, Jeff Dance. In this episode of The Future Of, we're joined by Amanda Marge to explore the future of recycling. Amanda, we're so excited to have you and touch on this important subject about our future together. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's so exciting. You know, garbage is such a big issue. We know recycling is the, a huge part of that answer. I was reading recently that there's 2.2 billion tons of waste kind of produced each year. And, you know, obviously a portion of that gets recycled, but give perspective of that, like the comparison was 1 million ton is close to three Empire State buildings. So we're talking like thousands of Empire State buildings of garbage each year. This is such a big issue for our future. So I'm really excited to chat with you, learn more about your experience in the garbage and recycling space, really the sustainability space. Can you tell the listeners more about your background, a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am senior director at Amp Robotics. And in my current role, we make trash robots. So it's AI-driven robots to sort recycling off of moving belts. When you put a recyclable in your blue bin, it goes to a material recovery facility. And that's where our technology lives to help sort those into the right commodity items. Prior to AMP, I spent some time at GE working in uh, hosted smart grid solutions. So that was my kind of first sustainability product. Um, Had a variety of roles at GE, all in um, electrical distribution roles. And then I went to Amazon for a period and worked in logistics. So now I'm recycling all the boxes that I used to ship out at Amazon. Amazing. It's a cool career uh, so far. And I noticed also that you had a master's degree from Stanford. What type of master's degree was it? Management science and engineering. Nice. And then a undergrad, you know, aerospace engineering as well. So all that engineering leadership. How did you become, you know, a sustainability nerd, a recycling <laughs> nerd? Tell me. I think it actually started in my first aerospace job after college. I started a recycling program in the office. It was only five of us, very small office, but I uh, I just couldn't stand seeing all these aluminum soda cans getting thrown away. So I used to collect them and take them to the the recycling center down the road myself. And then uh, that kind of inspired me to go to grad school at Stanford and focus on energy and environment and how can we start to bring you know improvements anywhere it's needed in that supply chain. Amazing. Tell us a little bit more about Amp Robotics. We're going to talk about kind of today and the future, but you know, Amp Robotics seems like such a fascinating company. Tell us more. Yeah, I think it's fascinating too. Amp Robotics started in 2014. Our founder and CEO is Matanya Horowitz. He has many degrees, but amongst them is a PhD in robotics. And so back in 2012 to 2014, he was looking around at the kind of new technology that AI, AI could bring. And he was looking around at where this could really help the world. And so he looked at a number of different opportunities, but came across the waste industry. And everyone told him, there's no way you can apply this 
technology to the waste industry. Things are really messy. It's going to be really hard to detect uh, what's happening. And I'm pretty sure he said, challenge accepted. And then he started AMP. So it was a lot of uh, dumpster diving and a lot of figuring out how do we first apply the AI identification to be able to say, this is you know, an aluminum can, this is a plastic water bottle, and specifically what, what polymer of plastic is it? And then putting it together with uh, robots. We started with a, a side-to-side robot, a gantry robot, and um, made many modifications from there. And now we use a Delta-style robot um, and that it can move in many different directions with quite a lot of speed and quite a lot of force. So where we are today, fast forward from 2014 to 2022, we have over 250 robots installed and being used um, across the world. Our primary customers are located in North America. Uh, we're based out of Colorado, so uh, North America is our primary market. Um, so different countries across Europe and Asia Pacific. And we apply this technology in a few different vertical markets for recycling. Uh, the primary market is your material recovery facilities for single stream recyclables. That's what we throw in our blue bins. Another one is the organics uh, industry, specifically pulling out contaminants from organic streams so that that can go and get composted correctly. And then the third is construction and demolition, because everything becomes end of life at some point. Um, We also do apply our technology in electronic scrap recycling as well. Very cool. Yeah. I think sometimes it's rare to find a really interesting company that also has such a strong mission around sustainability. And when you see organizations that are actually for profit and can sometimes even move faster than maybe a nonprofit would. I think that's a that's a, sounds like a great company to be part of. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Full of very passionate people who care both about the technology and also about making a positive impact on the world with that technology. I love it. I heard you mentioned the mission. What was the mission of, of AMP? Yeah, we envision a world without waste and we use technology to enable that. Nice. Let's dive into that. But first, let's talk about today. Tell us more about the problem with garbage today. Big problem. I mean, those numbers you threw out at the intro are absolutely the right magnitude. So breaking that down on an individual level, in the U.S., according to a 2019 EPA uh, study, we generate five pounds of waste per person per day. Going to let that one soak in for a second. Five pounds of waste per person per day. So it's just one of those things that's all of our problems to solve. And so it, it really sets the stage for how much this will continue to grow as population grows and also as just you know material packaging continues to be something that that is waste for some context historically in the 70s we were at about 2.4 pounds of waste per person per day so you can see an increase over time wow that trend is expected to continue as well as population increase we've got to figure something out but more than just the feel good of the sustainability piece of it these are materials these are commodities. And so there is a part of you know, global supply chain over the last two years. I think we've all uh, gotten a crash course in it. And so this is, <laughs> this is really a part of a circular economy. These are commodity items. They have inherent value to them. And if they're just ending up in a landfill, they're not doing anyone any good as far as you know, the, the value of the material. And now you add in the environmental impact of it. And it's just you know, two negatives. Yeah. It's insane. So basically, I'd be carrying around every week 35 pounds if I were to like put that on my back of garbage. That's the average garbage per person. And that's just waste at end of life. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, 35 pounds is my week-long backpacking weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us more about the recycling industry. Having commodities, there's an economy attached to this. Tell us more about how this works. Yeah, for sure. So 
Let's take an example. I have a wonderful prop here of a plastic water bottle. And so this is something that we use. Uh, we enjoy the benefits of it as a consumer because it is lightweight, saves some emissions from transportation, right? There's good things to plastic. I don't want to to say plastic is terrible. Plastic is just not easily recovered. Um, so, so, you know, we, we use a product. We're done with the product. We as consumers really enjoy the convenience of now just tossing it out. When you toss it into your, your blue bin and it gets picked up, it goes to a material recovery facility or a MRF. At that point, it goes through a series of sorts. These are really large buildings and it'll usually go through uh, first a pre-sort where people are pulling off stuff that's not supposed to be in there. There's a, a term we like to use in the industry called wish cycling. People wish it was recyclable, so they throw it in there. It's not. <laughs> Please don't. It actually really messes the systems up and, and kind of uh, costs a lot to take that out. Um, so first is pre-sort. You're pulling out the stuff that it's going to mess up the machinery. Next is typically a cardboard screen. It's called OCC. It stands for Old Corrugated Cardboard. And this is the cardboard that now gets you know, pulped down and, and turned into new cardboard. And so your big pieces are, are going off the top of this, just mechanical rotating screen. Um, and that's also where you get 2D, meaning paper, and 3D, meaning containers, separation. And then you'll go through a series of sorts for each of those, for 2D and, and for 3D to separate out into different commodity types. So within your paper stream, you're looking for things like sorted office white paper, you know, super high valuable, can, can get turned back into paper really well. Newspaper, also valuable. For your containers, you're looking at things like your valuable plastics. You know, the plastic number on your water bottle or whatever the, the thing is tells you the polymer type. So those get separated into polymers or into blends, uh, depending on where they're going for offtake. And your metals, so your aluminum cans, which are UBC, used beverage containers, those get separated out. And so what you're really doing is trying to sort out everything into the commodity where it has an offtake. And this is where recycling starts to get a little tricky for us as consumers. What your offtake is and how recyclable something is, is directly related to where you're located and what the offtake in your community is. So if you've got a Trex decking who can take your LDPE, your low density polyethylene, you know, kind of your, your thin films and your plastic bags, cool, your community is going to want those. But if you don't, hey, that's actually not recyclable in that community. And so this is why you get so many different things of, you know, different instruction as consumers of do you recycle this or not? Well, it really depends on where you are. Um, and what is the recovery rate? Really depends on where you are. But once everything gets separated into the commodities for offtake, uh, your plastics will go to, to plastics recovery facilities and they will continue to sort and refine. So get back to this example of a plastic water bottle. It also has a label on it and it also has a cap on it. And so those are different polymer types that you have to you know, separate out. So depending on if it's a chemical recycling process or a mechanical recycling process, you know, we'll change what they do with it. But ultimately, you're trying to get back down to a plastic pellet that can be reused. Got it. And you are supposed to take off the caps, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That helps the sorters. Yeah. The more you can get things into their single polymer, the better, right? That's ultimately what's going to happen. Got it. Thanks for this uh, education. Yeah, no worries. As far as recovery, you mentioned it kind of depends on location, but what would be an estimate for, you know, for different kind of states? Yeah. Some states are 15%. Some states are 85%. There's such a wide range. Okay. So... So some states have a lot of work to do. Some states have a lot of work to do. 
Makes sense. We're here to help them. <laughs> We're all wishing in some sense when we throw things into the recycling bin, but it kind of depends. One thing that really changed the game, as I understood it, was China's policy in 2018. I think they called it the national sword where they said, hey, we're not taking, you know, more garbage, more recycling, being a major, the number one importer of, you know, the world's sort of recycled goods. Tell us more about that and help users understand how that kind of changed the economy a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, being a commodity market, it is driven by the economics behind it. So you have a a cost for transportation and me being the sustainability nerd that I am, I'm quite happy that we're not spending the emissions impact on the world to move waste, you know, halfway across the world. So a huge fan there kind of forces us to, to figure this out domestically. But you have your, you know, your cost of your sortation, your cost of your transportation, um, and then now the value of the commodity that we can make. So what, you know, the shift of having to figure this out domestically has really forced us to figure out now, how do we make bales of of good value? How do you increase that value? How do you drive your cost of sort down so that the margins are now making this a viable economic, you know, business, really, it's it's a business. So in some sense, kind of sucks for businesses that were selling these recyclables, the value has gone down. But in another sense, it's sort of created a domestic need to solve, deal with our own waste essentially. And that, as we create the infrastructure to deal with that waste, prices should go up because we'll be able to reuse reuse those commodities. So in the long run, it could be a good thing. The national sword could have been a good policy for the rest of the world, but there's also short-term pain there. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Any other thoughts on, you know, kind of the challenges with garbage and recycling today before we move into the future? Yeah. You and I are part of the the challenge. And what I mean by that is really every consumer, it's really hard to drive consumer behavior. And I saw this, you know, back in my energy days with things like Smart Grid and how do you start to get people to opt into time of use pricing programs or demand response programs where, you know, during the hottest summer afternoons, you're not using your AC or you're not using, you know, things that require energy so that it's not a draw on the grid. And it's just, you know, proven time and time again across various sustainability initiatives like that one and like recycling, very hard to drive consumer behavior changes. We are such a convenience-driven society. And so the more we can really look at, you know, across the board, across those five pounds of waste per person per day, what are the things that we can permanently replace, you know, temporary single-use packaging, specifically plastics? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. That we're we're a big part of the problem today. Obviously, there's so many pieces of this circular, hopefully circular economy. There's the government. There's the the companies themselves. There's the companies that that make the the, the products. There's us as consumers, and you mentioned you know the, the economics associated with all this as well. I can see why it's a challenge. Why it takes time. Why it takes kind of coalition and a lot of work across the board to kind of move the needle, but. We need people like you to help us do so. First, let's touch on the future a little bit. You mentioned the, you know, Amps Robotics mission was a world without waste. So as we think about the future, you know, 10 to 20 years from now, like how do we get there? What do you envision in the next 10 to 20 years? My North Star vision and my dream is that we actually do have a world where everything is first designed for circularity. So designed for composting, designed for recyclability, you know, designed for circularity in the packaging so that you and I as consumers aren't bearing the burden of how do I end of life this product that I've just enjoyed the convenience from it. To do that, it takes a lot of data. It takes a lot of economic incentives um, and it takes a long period of change. And so that really goes back to how is the government through structures like extended producer responsibility driving the reporting requirements and from from that, from data, comes system-wide change. How does that hold consumer packaged goods companies 
you know, accountable. You and I don't have a choice when we go to the grocery store and we want to buy blueberries, for example. They all come in thermoforms. That's just how they're transported. That's the best thing for reducing your weight during transportation, which reduces emissions. You know, that's why I don't want to say plastics are awful. They bring us a lot of savings for, you know, sustainability initiatives in other places. But we don't really have a choice for now, what do I do with this packaging, right? And so I think that goes back to now the packaging producer and what do they do to design that for recyclability? So that's kind of the first part of, you know, the value chain is around that circularity of the packaging. The second part where we play is around the sortation. If we can see it, we can sort it. And we can see it because we have AI and and the benefits of this technology and how that's grown over the past decade. And, you know, things like the GPU cards becoming, you know, cheaper and faster. Thank you, gaming industry. Um, You know, helps with with things here. So very cool. And then the last part is the offtake. Um, So you can have the packaging, you can sort it. That's all great. But now what do you do with it? And how do you turn it into something different. And so when I envision that, you know, that North Star vision of the perfect world, it's that that whole value chain, everything has a place. It can go. Everything can be, you know, sorted and everything ends up in a reuse state. Nice. As far as that first piece you mentioned designing, and part of the purpose of our this podcast, all the podcast sessions that I've done is how do we design the future with more intent? You know, technology often changes so fast, things are changing so fast that if we can design things with a little bit more intent, then, you know, the future can change and we might catch, you know, some behaviors that that would be better off had we uh, put more thought into it versus just, you know, gone with how the change has gone. And especially with technology in the last 20 years, it kind of has, you know, life of its own. It's really changed us as humans and humans hasn't adapted as fast as technology. But sure. as we think about this space, are you aware of, you know, guidelines for designing products with more intent for recycling? Or is, there, is that something that exists? Like a company like us that actually actually designs mostly, you know, hardware products. We also do, we build robots, but we actually do get involved sometimes in, in the packaging of, of the products that we design and build as well. Yeah. Are there guidelines for this? Yeah, there are some. The kind of the TLDR, so the summary of it is as much as you can make things separable into their different commodity items um, and make sure it is a commodity that can be reused. So the things like cardboard, you know, aluminum, those are things that are easily reused and have value in the market. This space is, is such a cool space to be in because of the benefit. What other technologies, you know, might play a role in the, in the future of recycling? So is it, is it more and more robots? Tell us more about, you know, technologies that you think could be influential. For sure. Yeah. So that sort piece, you need a touch to sort something, you know, similar for, you know, a logistics network, you're touching a package to move it. And so it kind of, if you put on a lean manufacturing perspective, you want your single touch and you want it to be, you know, the most efficient way to move something from A to B. So when we think about how do we help enable those sorts through our technology, we look at what locations in that sort facility need that touch. And that's the best place for the touch. What's the right way to efficiently recover that material. So if we're going after a material, we're getting it. We're making sure, you know, we're not wasting picks. And then how do we make sure that we're expanding our sortation portfolio to go after as many different material types as possible? So shameless plug, we just uh, released a new product a couple of weeks ago called a Vortex. Our primary uh, robot is called a Cortex. So we really like our naming convention here at AMP. So the Vortex is focused on thin films. So if you think about 
kind of those puffy things that uh, to kind of keep your objects in a cardboard box from moving around. So the stuffing in a box, that is all thin film. You know, you take the air out of it and it's just like a plastic bag. So anything like that gets tangled in machinery, becomes contamination in fiber, which now reduces your value of a fiber bale. So film is a problem in this industry. You know, unless you have something like a truck stacking offtake for it, what do you do with film? And so that's what Vortex is designed to, first and foremost, pull out these contaminants, help the rest of the machinery have, you know, good long life, not get messed up, help your fiber maintain its purity. But now also, if we've driven the cost of the pick down, we now are being cost effective at creating a film bale that, you know, when that can be used, wonderful. And bringing back really the commodity value of film. Interesting. I appreciate that kind of specific example. And I would assume that as you multiply that, you know, specific machines to kind of pick specific things, you can kind of increase the the quality and the purity of exactly of the commodities. Exactly. That's great. As far as the circular economy goes, you know, this being trying to get to a circular economy, you know, and this being a complicated problem that's beyond, you know, just one company. What are some other things you think that need to happen from a macro perspective to kind of spur this along, knowing that we're not quite there from a circular economy yet, or we've seen how disruptive it can be but when a single country says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to import this stuff anymore. Yeah. Data, data, data. I think you can't make large system changes without really having a picture on what's going on so that you can make the right uh, you know, moves for, for what needs to happen. So when we think about you know, this industry before technology was brought to it, you had manual sorters, And you would have to do manual audits if you wanted to get some sort of characterization of the material on your belt. But those would be snapshots in time. Those wouldn't be really, you know, showing you how things are trending and, you know, differences with things like Christmas time. We see a lot of differences in the waste stream. (laughs) (laughs) So, by the way, your Christmas lights are not recyclable. Please bring them to an electronic scrap recycler, but do not put them in your blue bin. That is a problem during Christmas time for us. You call it wishful recycling, right? Recycling, yep. yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we need bins just for, for electronics. I mean, the e-waste is such an issue, right? Like, wouldn't that be beneficial? That's an interesting one. Yeah, you're right. It is so much bigger than it used to be. Every location tends to have some place that you can drop off electronic recyclables for free. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So please do look that up in your industry, listeners. <laughs> So when you had manual sorters, you really could not understand what was going on seasonality, you know, any given time relating back, you know, what composition you saw from what haulers, which helps you understand how to go, you know, maybe educate your consumer base in that area if you are getting a lot of Christmas lights in one neighborhood or something. And so data really helps drive local changes, but it helps when you start to aggregate it to look at what are some of the national trends and and what are some of the things that we could do for that. That also now helps feed consumer packaged good companies and what they want to do. Uh, We've been working with some wonderful uh, large companies that are looking for how can they detect their specific goods, you know, in this waste stream so that they can really look at how do they recover it more. So it's really great to see these, you know, corporations wanting to stand behind their sustainability goals. And then extended producer responsibility. How does government help create incentives, whether they're carrots or sticks, Uh, to really force change. And that's really every system change is going to come down to what are the economic incentives for it, whether it's carrots or sticks. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Obviously, uh, with what we saw in China, I mean, that huge disruption in such a short period of time, you can see how kind of the carrots or sticks can make a big difference. So that's where I think this gets 
which gets bigger and obviously more complicated to kind of move the needle. But to summarize, you know, if we think about the next 10 years, it's more about kind of infrastructure, kind of data, lots of data, 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 and, and more machines that can help with the sorting aspect, the designing aspect where things can be more recognizable, where companies are actually helping you with that. And then from there, maybe 20 years from now, it's like we truly have a more domestic sort of circular economy where we get the, these higher thresholds of usability when we're when we're doing all the wishful recycling, essentially. Maybe our, our wishfulness gets better, essentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 10 years is, you know, data is driving, you know, immediate change on what we can produce and what we can sort. 20 years is, you know, the, that packaging. So there's kind of the three parts of the value chain, the packaging, the sortation, the offtake. Packaging is changing. You know, sortation is, is now a solved problem, which is, you know, so wonderful. And it really couldn't have been solved in this way before we had the technology to recognize you got to see items to sort it, right? And now the offtake piece is, is a huge part of a lot of academic research going into how do you make better use of these kind of undesirable materials that don't inherently have good value, aren't highly recyclable. What do we do with them? Are you aware of other kind of companies or maybe even other countries that are really kind of moving the needle as we think about the transition that we all want to see? Yeah, for sure. So in Europe as a region, there are uh, more extended producer responsibility schemes in place and have been for a while. There are also bottle bill kind of programs in place depending on the country. So it uh, is leading to more of a consumer response to uh, recycle items and then really the reporting. Uh, so kind of that 10-year vision that I have for the U.S., you know, we're, we're getting there, we're catching up. So that's really, you know, really cool to see it in practice. Um, and now it's a matter of scaling it, you know, beyond where it is. As far as companies, I know I mentioned that we were working with some consumer packaged goods companies, and I can't mention who, but it's been very exciting to see, you know, large brand names really stand behind their corporate sustainability goals and really say, we want to figure out how to keep this from getting in the ocean. We want to figure out how to recover this and working with us, you know, first to train our AI to detect their, you know, various packaging, and then next to figure out now how do we you know, have the most effective sort for it. As far as the everyday advice that you would give someone, what are some tips that you would give to someone on the everyday? You said we're part of the equation. So (laughs) as a sustainability nerd, like, tell me, (laughs) tell me like what I can do better. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, uh, take a look at everything that you use, specifically things that are single use, and just decide for yourself, is there a change that you can make there? Um, That's a personal decision for each of us. For me, as my you know, kind of home products like my cleaning solutions and my toiletries started, you know, running out. That was the moment where I said, let me go figure out if there's a better alternative. So things like using washing sheets rather than liquid detergent, using wool dryer balls uh, with, you know, scented essential oils on it, like rather than dryer sheets. Those are changes I've decided to make for myself. But it really just starts with, you know, what, what are some of the lifestyle changes each of us want to make to help reduce that waste? The other thing we can do is for your favorite brands, get involved in uh, contacting those companies and asking them to create more sustainable packaging um, so that we can still enjoy the product, but in a more responsible way. And if you're so inclined, uh, work with your local uh, state or national government and ask for some of the changes. Thanks for those two tips. I remember you talking about metal as well. Metal. What can you tell us about uh, metal? Metal is infinitely recyclable. So okay. please always, always recycle your metal. These are raw earth elements. And so they are limited supply. And also the energy impact of mining, say, you know, raw aluminum is so much more intensive than the energy that it takes for recycling. So those soda cans, those, those bubble water cans, please always 
recycle them. And if you're in a place where there is no recycling, take it home with you and recycle it, please. It's that important. Got it. One of the things you mentioned before was the can itself, you don't need to crush it. Was I right in saying that? Or is it good to crush? You don't need to crush it. Most things get crushed in the process of transportation anyway. It goes in the the truck and everything kind of gets smushed down. So things will naturally kind of get moved around there. But our, you know, equipment for sortation, if it's super crushed down, it's going to be harder to pick. We like a good surface area so we can, you know, get a grip on it. Got it. Got it. And what about composting? Composting is, you know, obviously a big part of our our waste production, but any thoughts on on what we can do there? Yeah, for sure. Number one, don't put your composting in landfill. It creates methane gases and that's very bad for the environment. So if you don't have a curbside composting program, perhaps there's something in your neighborhood for a community garden, or perhaps there's something you could do yourself. I know we just had Halloween and so everybody's got those pumpkins that they're getting rid of. Please compost those. Do not throw those in your trash. And if you super duper do not have a way to compost it, just smash it on the ground and let the animals feed off of it. That's better for the earth than trying to throw it in in the garbage can. So composting is wonderful. It doesn't go in landfill. It doesn't go in recycling. It is its own stream. And, you know, if you don't have the offtake for it, contact your local government. Try to get it. But I bet there's community programs that you could contribute to. Nice. These are some great uh, everyday tips. Yeah. What about, we've heard the term reduce, sort of reuse, recycle, recycle being kind of in the last. What about kind of reduce and reuse? Yeah, it's absolutely the correct order. It's an old saying, but it's still the correct saying. So reduce for sure, where you just don't need something, where you have those single use, um, especially plastics, and you can make an alternative decision, please do. Reuse, glass is wonderful for reusing. So, you know, wherever you can reuse something, please do. But last is recycling, right? We've made it so that when you have no other option but to recycle, it is more cost-effective and more efficient overall to do it. But that's not going to be the silver bullet for how we really enable a world without waste. I'm curious, you know, as you've grown in your sustainability nerd status, your levels, essentially, for me, you're, you're up here right now. But like, how has that changed your, your personal life? Like, what are some things that you know, you've changed as a result of kind of getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the space. Yeah, I feel like wool dryer balls start to put you in a separate category, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely do the, you know, collect your batteries, collect your, you know, electronics and your metals. And, you know, once, twice a year, take it to a local facility where it's more properly disposed. I was uh, helping volunteer at a race a couple months ago, and there was no recycling for all these plastic and aluminum cans. And so I held up a bag and had every runner drop their their item into my bag and then took it home and recycled it. That's the sort of sustainability nerd level I'm at. I think that's like a level four out of five, maybe. (laughs) There's more I could do. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. How about for those, you know, I would imagine that as this economy gets bigger and more domestic, there'll be more jobs, actually, like more opportunities to participate in the space, which is meaningful. Any advice for those that want to get involved in kind of in this career that would be related to kind of sustainability and recycling? It touches every aspect of, you know, roles that you can think of. We've got, you know, just within AMP, we have teams who focus on government and policy and helping, you know, government and policymakers understand how this technology can be applied and be used. We have an amazing marketing team, an amazing sales team, amazing tech team, amazing finance team. I could go on and on and on. And so, you know, really there's no limitation to getting involved in any sustainability role, whatever your unique talents are, if you feel you know passionate to connect that to this purpose, there's something out there for you. So look around. And if there's anything I can help with, reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
man, it's so great having you. Any closing thoughts for, you know, just the future of recycling? Does anything come to mind? It's going to require system changes. It's going to require a lot of smart, passionate people to be part of the solution. So everyone who's listening here, thank you. That's the start. Awesome. I think uh, obviously the awareness and the education is such a, is a big part of that. And we're really excited about what you're doing and uh, the future of recycling. So thanks for being with us and educating us all on uh, how we can be better and just a lot of things to look forward to. Really appreciate your, your depth and your passion. Thanks so much. Don't forget to recycle those cans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Future of Podcast is brought to you by Fresh Consulting. To find out more about how we pair design and technology together to shape the future, visit us at freshconsulting.com. Make sure to search for The Future of an Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And on behalf of our team here at Fresh, Thank you for listening.